0: Of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Doodoo. No, I don't mean the hymn we just muddled through. No, in today's text, St. Paul talks about doo. Well, no, he never comes out and actually says it. He taught, He's talking all about things we do in our lives that we shouldn't do and don't want to do, and all that doo-doo that this can cause in our relationship with God as a result of our sin. As our text read earlier, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And later, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Listening to our text, one can't help but be left with the impression that our tendency to sin is so ingrained that it seems as though no amount of discipline, effort, willpower, or prayer will ever be able to break us free. The sin we try to avoid rears its ugly head and trips us up day after day. The good we pledge to do never seems to get done, well, at least not properly. What hope is there for sinners like us when St. Paul himself seems to struggle with this? He starts off by confessing, I fail to avoid the evil I do not want to do. St. Paul was frustrated by his failures. He was frustrated that regardless of the fact that God called him for a very special ministry, and he knew God was with him, he still succumbed to temptation. Yes, even St. Paul struggled with sin. When you read through Scripture, you notice that it it doesn't ever present its heroes as squeaky clean. Except Jesus, that is, but we'll get back to that later. No, quite often we're told about the failures of all the great saints than we are about their great accomplishments. Abraham grew impatient for God to give him a child in his old age by his wife, Sarai. So he took a concubine instead and sired Ishmael. Later, when he doubted God's ability to protect him from those attracted to his wife, Sarah, he lied to protect himself, saying that she was just his sister. Moses killed an Egyptian in a fit of rage. Later, he made excuses in an attempt to avoid God's claim on his life. He didn't trust God and refused to speak before Pharaoh. So God appointed Aaron. He didn't follow God's instructions several times while walking around in the wilderness, breaking the tablets of the Ten Commandments in anger, and striking the rock to release the water, instead of just speaking to it and letting God's word do the work. Just to name a couple. The great King David committed adultery and then murdered a man in order to try and cover it all up. Later, in pride, he conducted a census just to see how great his kingdom had become. Even St. Peter, the right-hand man of Jesus himself, had to be rebuked by Jesus several times. And then, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he denied Jesus three times. And still after that, after he had been forgiven of that, he had to be rebuked in a vision by God to go to the Gentiles. You and I, like all these great people, all these greats of biblical history, like St. Paul too, have also failed to avoid evil. We still want what we want when we want it. Despite knowing God's law, we still rebel and seek our own pleasures. But not only that, St. Paul goes on to say that not only does he fail to avoid doing evil, but he can't even do good. He says, I fail to do the good I desire to accomplish in verse 19. Once again, we can only nod in agreement, can't we? We do know what we should be doing. But we don't. That's our sinful nature, getting the best of us. St. Paul knew this frustration too. We can almost hear the tremor in his voice as he cries out to God, I do not understand what I do. Or again, when he laments, What a wretched man I am. Have you ever found yourself that exasperated with yourself? I'm sure you can think of at least one example. I know I can think of quite a few in my own life. You struggle to avoid certain sins in your life and you really try, but then all of a sudden you realize that you just did it again, seemingly without even thinking about it. And you wonder. Why? You yelled at your family member in anger. You covet that new gadget or gizmo you just saw on television. You choose to stay home on a Sunday morning, or sorry, not home. You choose to stay in on a Sunday morning when you're on vacation, camping, or at a hotel, even though you know there's a Lutheran church not even 20 minutes away. You decide to turn on the TV instead of picking up your Bible again, that poor book that currently sits somewhere in your room, and probably has a thin layer of dust on it. You, once again, and again, and again, choose your own wants and desires over what God has told you he wants for you and from you. What he says is good for you and right for you. How many times have we made resolutions with good intentions but failed to accomplish them? How many times have we given our word to do something just to find a convenient excuse to get out of it when the time comes to fulfill our promise? How many times have we put ourselves and our desires before our friends or our family, our God? The harder we seem to try, the more our frustration grows and the more our failure seems to be apparent. Listen to verse 21 again. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. No matter what we do, we can't seem to shake the ever-present shadow. As with St. Paul, the good we want to do, we don't do, and the doo-do we know we shouldn't do is what we find ourselves doing. And that's exactly the way Satan likes it. He will manipulate and tempt. And sometimes outright act. We see several times in Scripture, St. Paul tried to visit the Thessalonians, but Satan prevented them. A number of times, Paul tried to also visit the Romans, but was prevented. And this is still something that happens. And though often today people make it an excuse, the devil made me do it, sometimes he actually does. Well, not make you do it per se, but does tempt you to do it. Or tempt you to avoid doing something you should. Satan uses all our human efforts, all our trying hard in a kind of spiritual judo maneuver to trip us up yet again, to use our strengths, our desires to do what is right in the service of God, to use it against us. Like when Jesus is in the desert, the Prince of Lies tempts us by making the wrong Choices seem like the godly ones. But God said to love one another. How would telling that person that what they're doing is wrong and what they believe about themselves to be wrong, how would that be loving them? Shouldn't we encourage them and, and edify them and support them in their decisions? He'll also remind us of our past failures to try and discourage us from future attempts to do good. But that's wrong too, isn't it? Well, you remember what happened last time you tried to break up a fight. You got a black eye and a bloody nose. It's not your problem. Just walk away. It is through that faulty reasoning that he's ensnared a good portion of Christendom today. If I can't follow the commandments perfectly, then why even try? He tempts us to think. He tempts us to question God's good and perfect law. He plants in us the the notion of cheap grace, whispering in our ear. If you're just going to have to get forgiveness anyways, then why bother to put any effort into it in the first place? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Am I right? Now, I ask this question to my confirmands at least two or three times a lesson while we're going through the Ten Commandments. Why? Why do we try to keep the Ten Commandments? If they don't save us, and we constantly break them, then why do we struggle to keep them at all? Then the follow-up question to those goes something like this. Who are we trying to keep them for? Well, we're not keeping them for God. He already knows we're sinners. It's not really even for us. While, yes, it is a good way to live, the best actually, the way God wants us to live, and this is how we were originally created to live before the fall, we're not really the ones who benefit from our keeping of the law. So who is? Will that be my neighbors? We keep the law to show our neighbor what God wants for their lives. We keep the law to show our neighbor what it is and isn't. Oh, excuse me, what is and isn't truly good and right in God's sight. But most importantly, we keep the law to show our neighbor love. God's love for them and our love for God. And the love that God has given us for each other. That they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, Scripture tells us. And yes, we do fail. And we don't show love properly most of the time, but we still strive to keep it so that more people would know of God's love for them. Satan, though, uses our failures to instill doubt in us, to make us wonder whether or not our baptism into Christ really accomplished anything at all, whether we really are God's child or not, and whether God could ever fully forgive you. But God assures us of the answer regularly in scripture. These failures that we suffer, both the bad we do and the good we fail to do, are there to remind us of one thing. We can't do it on our own. They show us as a mirror showing our reflection that we can't meet God's requirements of perfection on our own no matter how hard we try. Because no matter how hard we try, we're going to fail. Abraham failed. Moses failed. David failed. Peter failed. St. Paul failed. You fail. I fail. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, while we can't do it, we know the one who did. Jesus Christ came. He lived the perfect life of love that we can't. Keeping God's law of love perfectly. He took our place in death, paying the price we owed so that we could have life. Back in Romans chapter 6, St. Paul explains to us that by virtue of our baptism into Christ, we are people of privilege. We are privileged to be called children of God through that blessing, blessed washing. And part of that privilege is the privilege to fail. Now, that doesn't mean that God approves of our failures or even condones our sin. Far from it. St. Paul states pretty clearly that we should not continue in our sin to receive more grace, but should strive for righteousness. Rather, what this means is that God rescues us from our failures, from the doo-doo we get into, by forgiving our sins and promising deliverance from this body of death. We are forgiven. You are forgiven. You have the same forgiveness that the others in those Bible stories received. You too have God's grace and mercy in your lives through the work of the very Son of God on your behalf. He delivered you from your failure to avoid evil time and failures to do good time and time again. We are forgiven through the waters of holy baptism. He washes us clean through water in the word. And in the sacrament of the altar, he feeds us his very body and blood in and with the simple elements of bread and wine. For that very same forgiveness, the forgiveness he won for us on Calvary, that he delivers to us today regularly in his word and sacrament. Does all this mean we should forget about avoiding evil and doing good so that God can be glorified even more? Well, to quote St. Paul yet again, by no means. What it does mean, though, is that we should give up the idea of accomplishing these things by our own power, by virtue of our own efforts, or good intentions, or personal resolutions. Instead, we should depend on Christ and His strength in us, to accomplish his will in our lives. St. Paul's honest and personal admission helps us to understand that we are, as the theologians say, simul justus et peccator, at the same time, saint and sinner. In one sense, we can expect to fail quite a bit actually, but at the same time, we should not make excuses for our sins. We don't need to wallow in our own guilt. Instead, we need to repent of our sins, recognize them, and turn from them, knowing that in baptism, we have been crucified and buried with Christ. The guilt from all our failures has already been nailed to the cross. And so now, we strive to keep his commandments, not out of duty or desire for salvation, but out of love. Love for God and love for each other. Our good works don't depend on our ability to perform perfectly, but on the power of Christ, sacrificed for us. This new life we have was put on us through baptism. Our gracious God is able to work miracles even through sinners like us. True good works that he lays before us in our paths so that we would walk in them. It is him who rescues us from our failures all the doo-doo we get ourselves into by forgiving our sins and promising to free us from this body of death. When he calls us home to be with him, and so with confidence, we can and should say with Paul, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.